the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Nothing is more important than money. If you don't have it, you need it. And if you have it, you want to grow it. That's what retirement is all about, and that's what we're all about here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management, the Chief Investment Advisor for Aptus Wealth Management. And Josh, I guess first off, we should talk about a new voice on the show, mine, as uh, this is my first show with you, of first of what will be many. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the new format, and as many listeners probably already know, we've already been doing this as a segment on your show, mm-hmm. so it's a natural evolution for us to kind of continue that much more open dialogue format, which I think will be really helpful. Uh, hopefully, we'll be even be able to open up uh, some time for some questions for some uh, callers. So, we'll... Sure, that'd be great. So if you guys have questions, hit me, Bruce, at SalemMedia.com, Bruce at SalemMedia.com, and We'll throw them at Josh when we sit down to prepare the show for you, which will now air on Friday nights and on Saturdays. Those times are 7 p.m. Friday and then 2 p.m. Saturday, a slight change from the prior time of 4 p.m. So 7 p.m. Friday and 2 p.m. on Saturday. So a double dose of uh, hopefully economic wisdom and insight into the markets and into all the topics that we hear thrown around. There are a lot of buzzwords out there these days, inflation, recession, and all those things. So that's what we'll endeavor to do is to give them to people in terms that they can understand so that they can bulletproof their investments. And I'm just curious, as we start out, Josh, let's talk a little bit about inflation, because it's really something that this is the first time that a lot of people have had to worry about it in their lifetime. And I do mean in their lifetime, because the numbers that we hear in the media are this is the highest inflation in 40 years. Uh, That takes me back to when I was just even thinking about starting to have a job and what I would make and Certainly, uh, the amount of money that I would have made then on an annual basis would not be sufficient now to raise a family on. So inflation kind of creeps over time, but we've seen it just explode here in the last year or so. So what would you say to people about inflation and what's normal and what's dangerous? What's normal historically has been about 3%. But if you go back and you include kind of the crazy 80s, which was what you were referencing, Mm -hmm. uh, you climb a little bit over four. But during that, you know, 80s time period, we had inflation rates of 12, 13, 14%. Matter of fact, there was a period of time, as we look at Social Security increasing by 6% last year, there was a period of time back in, I believe it was 1980, Social Security went up by over 12%. So there are times when this has occurred in the past, but I think the big challenge for people, as we're speaking specifically of retirement planning, is over the last 20, 30 years or so, we kind of always use the same estimates. Well, we're going to assume that you're going to need 25 or 3% more every single year. And the question now is, is that realistic for the next 10 years? 
And, you know, in our office, at least, we've always do, done something called stress testing. So we look at historical norms, but then we start kind of think about putting your retirement plan in a flight simulator. And then you start kind of, you know, messing with the engines, yeah. taking out a wing. And we were increasing inflation rates. And a lot of clients were going, yeah, but, you know, is that really realistic that we could potentially see 4 and 5% inflation? And thankfully, we continue to do that because here we are. And that, that certainly adds a tremendous amount of challenges, particularly when you're in an environment where you have interest rates at the bank paying 1%, maybe 2%, but you have inflation at 8 How do you achieve a risk-free rate of return? How do I keep up? How do I stop my money from eroding? That's going to be the real challenge over the next 5 or 10 years. Yeah, because you want to grow your money. And you know the thought that people know this, you operate, whether you're on a budget or whether you just sort of you know have a innate sense of we can afford this, we can't afford that. Um, I need to make X amount of dollars. And then when you think about retirement, like, you're not working anymore, so you have to have enough money piled up that you can handle the expenses that come. And most people, uh, I think, envision a life after they stop working of of comfort or at least of being stress-free. And that's where inflation cuts in on it because I'm sure that you at Aptus Wealth have had formulas in place for people of, you know, I need to save X amount based upon my lifestyle and I can afford to withdraw a percentage X amount over time. And it strikes me that inflation is something that kind of forces you to rethink all those formulas. It doesn't necessarily force you to rethink all the formulas. You should have been thinking about them to begin with. But I think that some people fall into the trap of complacency and ignoring those things. It hasn't happened in so long, so let's Mm -hmm. not pay attention. The same thing occurs in times like the stock market. If you look over the last 12 years, there's many financial planners for that matter who have never seen a really down economy. You think about it, if you... If you've been investing for the last 12 years, this is really shy of the the COVID blip. This is the first time you've really seen what people would see see as a downtime. Mm-hmm. And we're not even, although we're officially in recession territory, this hasn't drug on for years yet. But, you know, you and I are a little bit older than that. Mm-hmm. So we remember 0102. We remember 0809. Maybe remember 1987, which was a pretty pretty big one as well. And we can keep on going back through history. But as Things get good for a long period of time. People start ignoring that. They ignore inflation. They ignore, ignore volatility. And they can kind of let things get out of whack. So you'll see 70-year-olds with 100% of their money in the stock market and you know tech growth like we saw back in the early 2000s. Risky proposition, terrible way to learn a lesson. It's my job to educate people via those historical lessons so they don't have to learn the hard way. And you can get a free consultation with Josh and his team at Aptus Wealth Management by giving them a call, 614 614- 917-1040. Their website is aptus, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So you mentioned, I think, 0102, 08, 1987. Those are roughly like about 10 years apart. Is there something about the American economy or is it more something about the American psyche that these kinds of challenges seem to come up about every decade? I think it's both. Um, so Warren Buffett would say that if you want to learn about investing, you learn about how people are crazy, essentially. I mean, he calls it something fancier, but but this kind of herd mentality of how we get emotionally attached to things that shouldn't be emotionally attached to, and we make illogical decisions. However, there is ebbs and flows in the economy. You can't have... The, think of all the companies that you know, and imagine if they just had 40 years of awesomeness. It yeah. never happens. They have four years of tremendous growth, and then they kind of have a lull where they're figuring stuff out. Well, that happens to the general economy as well. And you're right. It seems to happen about every six to eight years. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, if you look over the last 50 or 60 years, you'll see a transition almost almost like clockwork between which types of companies 
perform well. So, for example, if you look at the last 10 years or so, it's been the 10 years of growth stocks. And when I say growth stocks, think of, think of the Teslas, think of the, the Netflix, the Amazons, the Googles. They've all done tremendously well. If you look back before that and you say, what did well during 0102 until 2008, 2009? It was kind of the run of value stocks. And when I say value, think of the, the Johnson & Johnsons, the Coca-Colas. The, really, if you want to differentiate between the two, value stocks in general are stocks that pay dividends. So the ones that are making so much stuff but have not enough ideas that they're stockpiling cash and they distribute that cash out to you as an investor. Growth stocks have so many ideas. Think of you know, Elon Musk and Tesla. Right. He can't run out of ideas. He's always investing no. his money back in. Yeah, electric cars and space. And, I mean, the guy, he's, he's an idea guy. And we've seen that transition occur here in the last 6 to 12 months where you're starting to see value stocks outperform the overall market. And that happens about every six to 10 years-ish. Now, whether or not that trend will continue, I don't know. But I can tell you that if I was forced into a recession where I was looking at what can I spend my money on, I'm going to give up some things before I give up others. And if there's one thing we learned from COVID, people are unwilling to give up toilet paper. So you may want to invest in companies that produce goods and services that you are unwilling to give up. Yeah, I'm just curious, you know, like when I think about investing, I think about I'm going to put my money with a company and they're going to hold on to it for a while. And hopefully that company grows so that my money grows. So my very elementary view of it is I want to put my money with a company that's going to prosper over time. Are there categories of companies that prosper in times of economic challenges like this? Yeah, and I, I hate to reference Warren Buffett again, but he seems to do well during economic turmoil times mm -hmm. because he's a very deep value investor. His ideology, and, and mine is congruent with this, is invest in companies that have a huge barrier to entry around them, a huge mm -hmm. moat around the castle, if you will. Keeps competition away. Keeps competition away. And then invest in things where very subtle changes in price, which would be almost insignificant to you and I, would make a huge difference to the bottom line. So let's think about a company like Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. Now, Bruce, you and I are reasonably smart people. I think if we got together, we could probably come up with some sort of drink. But we would have a heck of a time trying to take on a behemoth like Coca-Cola. Sure. They, could, they could price us out of the market in a second. But similarly, so many people buy Coca-Cola around the world that if they raise the cost of a can of Coke, and I don't know if you're a pop drinker. I'm sad to admit yeah, that I am. I am, yeah. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be, but I am. If they raise the cost of a can of Coke by one penny, which wouldn't even register on my meter, mm -hmm. their profits go up by millions and millions of dollars every single day. That gives them some pretty strong inflation hedge. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody listening go run out and put all their money in Coca-Cola, but companies like that would be tremendous hedges against volatility. That makes sense. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you here on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Get a hold of Josh and his team for the free consultation bulletproof your money. You've worked hard for it. Why not grow it? Why not understand what it can do for you in times of challenge like this? Get a hold of Josh and his team at 614-917-1040. You can also book your free consultation online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Warren Buffett a couple of times, and the first quote that you threw out talked about, you know, really understanding and all that. Here's a quote from a long time ago from Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. And you talk about that a lot on our weekly segments on The Answer, where a lot of people are emotional investors. They want to 
jump onto a hot trend like the GameStop trend or Tesla is a name in the news. Um, but getting out, getting away from a company that may go through a momentary dip might not be a great decision because the reasons that you invested in that company, those reasons are still present, which speaks to what Franklin's talking about here with an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Yeah, I think, you know, absent of knowledge, you're emotional. Absent of knowledge, you're gambling. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've, I've done this a million times. You know, you have a little cough or you, you get some blood work back and maybe something's elevated and you do the most horrendous thing ever, <laughs> and that is you Google it, yeah. right? And then it comes back that, well, for sure you have, you know, Hodgkin's yeah. lymphoma and you right. might as well get your stuff in order. Um, well, the same thing can occur with investing where people will hop on, you know, these meme stocks, for example, that you brought up, they just did the same thing with Bed Bath & Beyond uh, just recently here. We'll see how that all plays out, but I'm sure it's going to end up similarly to the other meme stocks. This is all gambling. Um, when you're investing, think of it as no different than I am. My neighbor came to me and said, I have this idea and I'm going to start a pizza shop. Well, who would... Do you trust that person to invest in? What's their idea? Do you believe that they're going to be good stewards of your money? How should you invest? Mm -hmm. When times get tough, which they undoubtedly will, do you believe that they can weather the storm because it's not always going to be great? Well, similarly, the people who tend to pull money out of their investments irrationally is because they have no idea why they put their money into them to begin with. They didn't have a plan. They don't have a strategy. They just know that people said they should invest, so I'm going to throw some money into something Mm -hmm. and cross my fingers and hope it goes up. There's got to be a better methodology than that, or the storms will kill you. You know, when you bring up that kind of a mindset, what I think about that is in the news now and has been for, you know, more than a couple months, probably a couple years, is cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is one of those hot things, uh, wild fluctuations. I think everybody's drawn to the idea of, hey, I can put a little bit in and I might make generational money. But crypto is... We know volatile, but I'm not sure that I understand why it's volatile, and I don't want to put my money in something that I don't understand, going back to the you know fact about knowledge bearing the best interest. But what's going on with crypto? Why is inflation so dramatically in, involving crypto right now? Because the headlines that I see about crypto now are such that I don't think it's really as attractive to people who want to find that next hot thing. I think the concept of crypto is, is, is powerful. The concept is we need to decentralize our money. We need to get away from the U.S. dollar because the dollar can be manipulated mm-hmm. or whatever currency around the world can be manipulated. And we have the issue of inflation. We can just print money. And there's a myriad of reasons why crypto, crypto is very romantic. But when I think of investing, I think of putting my money in things that will do something in the way of earning through the sale of goods. Or let's think of it as a company. Or even let's think of it as real estate. Um, I put money in real estate. Sure, the value of that underlying real estate can go up and down. But at the end of the day, I can rent that real estate out and it will provide income to me. Mm -hmm. My underlying investment may fluctuate. If I buy land, I have some dirt. I can plant crops on there. It will provide income to me. People will need food. If I buy a stock like Coca-Cola, same thing. If I buy crypto, in my opinion, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will roll their eyes at this, It's the same as buying a baseball card. The only value to it is, does somebody else think the crypto is worth more than I do? And then they buy it off of me. So even if you gave me all the crypto in the world, I have to turn around and convince somebody else to buy it off of me. 
it will continue to be incredibly volatile. Now, the underpinnings of crypto is, you know, blockchain technology. That affects everything from Ethereum to all of the different cryptos. That has tremendous value, and that's not going anywhere. And again, I'm not suggesting that we won't be talking about how Bitcoin is now trading at, you know, $500,000 a coin in 10 years. I just don't have the slightest semblance of what would cause it to do that or what it would cause it to go the other direction. So it's not something that we partake in. It's a, it's a risky proposition. I still uh, would akin it to gambling. Yeah, and the thing that I like about you from our conversations in the past is that you understand kind of this allure that are is tugging at people all the time. And you're not going to allow somebody to put the majority of their portfolio in something like that, of course. But you also do acknowledge that if people have worked hard for their money and they have done sound things with their money and have adhered to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint and you're not averse to like basically saying, well, if you've got something left over, then okay, you know, maybe give that a try, but just be eyes wide open and know the risks going in. Yeah, you can do whatever you want with your money. It's At the end of the day, it's your money. You should just be doing the things that you should be doing. For example, um, whether we want to hear it or not, we should all be getting exercise. Yeah. Right? As long as you get exercise, <laughs> then you can probably afford to do some things that maybe aren't so good for yeah. you. It doesn't mean it's right, but you can do it. Um, you know, I don't gamble. Uh, I, I've used to travel to Las Vegas a lot for conferences. I've been there dozens of times, and I am, uh, tell you I've never gambled one nickel ever. But other people love to do it. As long as you've done everything else you're supposed to do and you get enjoyment out of it, go crazy. I have no problem with it. It's keeping it in the reins, and I think a lot of people are looking at crypto or looking at whatever it might be as their retirement plan, and that is not a predictable outcome. That is a cross of the fingers. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those sound things that we can do that compose the Aptus Retirement Blueprint and that are good moves for people to make in a very challenging time like this. If you'd like to get with Josh and his team for your free consultation, call them at 614-917-1040 or make your appointment online at Aptus, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Does inflation make it impossible to grow your nest egg at a time like this? Are people who are two, three years out from retirement basically forced to be in a holding pattern and just hope things get better? Or what can you tell somebody who's anxious about I need to grow my money, but doesn't seem like this is an environment that's really conducive to growing my money. Um, absolutely. People can still continue to retire. Do they have to heed the warnings of inflation? Do they have to maybe modify slightly the way that they're investing? Do they have to take into account some additional things? Of course, but there's always going to be something looming over the rich, whether it's taxes or uh, is my pension going to be around? What about Social Security? What about inflation? What about market volatility? What about interest rates? There's always a myriad of things that could, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody like this, Bruce, but we get, unfortunately, we get we get a decent chunk of these. It's the problem for every solution person. Right? <laughs> yeah. No matter what you say, well, you know, and it gets all the way down to, you know, like the most preposterous thing, you know, like, well, what if acid rain, you know, wrecks my house? You know, I mean, it just keeps on going and yeah. going. Of course, we can poke holes in every plan, but the objective of retirement planning is how do I mitigate as many risks as possible to make sure that I have, you know, perfect plan, secondary plan, tertiary plan, uh, stress-tested plan, the uh-oh plan. You got to keep on stress-testing to a point where you reach a level where through educated decision-making processes, you feel comfortable with your decision. And if you're waiting for the time to be perfect, you're going to be waiting for the rest of your life. It'll never be perfect. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I do think people 
in my generation, our generation are now more aware of that. And but I think of my father and mother, you know, they were hardworking factory people. And I think there are a lot of hardworking factory people out there who always thought that I'll go, I'll work, I'll rely on my pension and I have Social Security. I've paid into Social Security and Social Security will be there for me. For people who are relying on Social Security in this volatile time, what should they know and what kind of advice would you give them? Well, Social Security has is, is been a conversation that I've had since I started in the business. It, it seems to have always been a conversation of, you know, can we count on it? I'm too young. By the time I get there, it won't yes. be there, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and to the people that say that, I, I think you and I would both agree. You, you, you do a lot of political conversations. I do. Um, it would be political suicide for anybody to eliminate Social Security. Can't imagine that anybody could ever even propose that. Not going to propose it. But in, invariably, there will need to be changes. And you can go to the Social Security website right now, and they will tell you that by the year of 20, I believe on the website it says 2032, by the year of 2032, Social Security is going to run out of money. Now, what does that mean? Well, Social Security is funded in two ways. Way number one, people that are currently working are paying into Social Security. Way number two is there is a trust fund of sorts that picks up any gap. So if we rewind the clock back to 1935 when Social Security was established, most people didn't live to 65. The average life expectancy was 62, so it was a pretty well-funded program. Mm. There's about 11 people paying in for every one person collecting. Now, fast forward to today, and those ratios aren't even close to the same. I think we're at three or four to one at this point. Three, so, more, three people are paying in for every one? One person collecting. Okay. Yeah, which doesn't, doesn't work out. And those ratios are continuing to get worse and worse as baby boomers continue to retire. So the problem that we have is we have a shortfall. And as of today, we have about a 28 to 30% shortfall. So that trust fund that's been built up over time is picking up the slack. So even if the Social Security uh, program, quote unquote, ran out of money, what that would mean is everybody would get about 70 some odd percent of what they're receiving today. Now, again, that would be political suicide. Something will need to be done. And on the website for Social Security, it says these are some of the things that we could do. We could... Uh, you know, raise the tax rate. So in other words, right now you're paying in, you know, six point whatever percent and we'll raise it to eight. Okay. Uh, we will raise the retirement age. We will lower the payout percentage. We will do the one that everybody gets terrified about is something called means testing. And means <laughs> testing means you did everything you were supposed to do. You saved your entire life. You were disciplined. You delayed gratification. You saved all this money. And now you have this nest egg at the end of the tunnel and they go, you don't need it because you have this money. That's the one that really terrifies people. Um, and the other one that the Biden administration has actually addressed is they want to eliminate the cap on income on Social Security. So if you make $500,000 a year today, you only pay Social Security in about 150000 After that, you no longer pay into Social Security. They want to eliminate that cap and raise it up. He's calling it a donut hole. So eventually, you know, you kind of make up to about, it's not 150 exactly, but you make up to about 150 You quit paying into Social Security. And then when you hit income over 400000 you start paying back in again. Whether he gets that through or not, we'll see. But the point that I'm trying to make is there's all these different options that will have to occur. I think the more logical option as we look at what's happening with the government today is, well, why not just print more money? Ooh. Which would mean we'll continue to pay you the same amount of Social Security. Sure. It'll just be worth a whole heck of a lot less yes. because of inflation. Whether I'm right or wrong, we don't know. But what it does tell me is Social Security will have to fundamentally change to some capacity somewhere around 2030, 2035. 
you and I both know that no politician is going to address it before they have to. So it's going to happen somewhere between 2030 and 2035. And, uh, you better take that into account when you do your financial planning that either inflation might become more dramatic, your Social Security might go down, your taxes may go up. Some things could change, and they'll move the needle one way or the other. The more you talk about that, it almost sounds like one of these private pension plans that's running out of money to fund people's pensions at the rate they were promised they would be funded. With one exception, and that is it's the federal government, so they always have a solution, and pension plans can't just pull money out of thin air. Correct. And Social Security does have some kind of an inflationary protection, does it not, in terms of what people are getting from their Social Security check? Uh, I'm assuming you mean that it gets some sort of cost of living adjustment as time goes on. Yes, it does. It goes according to CPI. And one of the things that they've addressed is, should we change how inflation is calculated? They did it the last time back during the Nixon administration. So let's think about how they could affect that. So let's say that the cost of, uh, you know, if you're retired, what are your real costs for most people? Your real costs are food, gasoline, health care. Um, but your costs probably aren't directly linked to the price of a computer. So let's just look at this and say, how can we mess with it? Well, if the price of a computer for the same as what it was last year went down because technology got better, so now I can get a, you know, a gig of storage for half as much as I did last year, well, we can say that the prices of computers actually went down, even though you can't find one that does that, but right. they went down, and then we can just offset the cost of food and clothing. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick, the Chief Investment Advisor for Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, and you can find them on the web at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Their phone number is 614-917-1040. We're talking about how to build toward retirement. Josh, one of the things that people build into their retirement package, their blueprint, if you will, is Social Security. Let's talk about what you see on the horizon for Social Security. You do not believe that it's going to go away because you say that would be political suicide, and I totally agree with that view. Yeah, I I just can't see it being removed. I mean, can you imagine uh, the headlines if somebody was running for office and they were running for office to eliminate Social Security? No, I can't. Nobody would get elected. No, they would not. Yet, I think we need adjustments in it, and There are some things that are adjustments that aren't necessarily recognized as adjustments. Uh, Let's talk about sometimes some of the changes that they can make that might be under the radar that people don't notice. Yeah, we're we're kind of seeing this uh, in all levels of taxation, and I think it'll spill over into Social Security. And let me give you some examples. So, you know, it used to be that you could deduct your student loan interest on your taxes. Well, that's gone away. It used to be that if you made certain income, you could deduct X, Y, Z. They've reduced the deduction. So it's very easy for a politician to say, I will not raise the tax bracket and then underhandedly remove the deductions, which is the same. <laughs> if your tax bill goes up, I don't care what number you're calling it. My tax bill still went up. 
And I think that same methodology will start to spill over into Social Security. For example, it would be very easy for us to just change the calculation on everybody's Social Security. When's the last time you looked at your Social Security statement? Oh, I get the thing in the mail every year and glance at it and put it on my wife's desk for her to file it away. Right. So if inflation goes up by 6% and you were supposed to get 1000 before and now it would be 1060 you don't pay attention to that. So let's say that you got a you got a statement next year even though it should have been 1060 and it says 1055. Wouldn't notice it. Wouldn't notice it a bit. So it would be very easy for that calculation to start changing. Now, it might not seem like a drastic amount of money, but multiply that by, I don't know, 50, 100 million people. Yeah. It's a pretty big number. I think that will continue. I think how we tax Social Security, whether you know it or not, Bruce, you're only taxed on Social Security if you make outside income over a certain dollar amount. So, for example, if you live on Social Security exclusively, you pay no income tax on Social Security. If you have a $5,000 pension beyond Social Security, well, now you pay taxes on up to 85% of your Social Security. Why 85%? Yeah. Let's make it 100. And let's make the threshold, instead of $32,000 for a married couple, let's make it 28. I mean, just start moving. The, I think there will be an amalgam, a kind of a combination, a multi-pronged approach of these little underpinnings to help reduce the impact of Social Security. These are the things that you learn when you have Aptus Wealth on the case, on your case, trying to keep you apprised of details, little changes, little machinations that might make a difference to you. Get with Josh and his team at 614-917-1040. The Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show airs at 2 p.m. Saturday and also 7 p.m. every Friday night here on 989 The Answer. Okay, so I love the visual image of a blueprint for retirement. And a blueprint to me says you're building something, you're building a home, and there are a lot of materials that go into building a home. You got to have a foundation. You got to have two by fours. You got to have drywall. What are the elements that make up a good retirement plan? I mean, you don't want to have just social security. We've talked about the danger of that. I don't think you want to have just stocks or just bonds, but when people come in and they talk to you about, Hey, I've worked, I've done this, I've saved this. I'd like to invest this. What kind of guidance can you give them on the elements that make up a good retirement blueprint plan? Well, there's certainly a difference between good or let's say proper, and just some of the planning softwares that are out there. And one thing that I think you you overlooked when you said building a house is you typical, uh, I think you were mansplaining, I believe is the yeah. new definition. Yeah. It's got to have a good foundation. It's got to have a, well, I don't know about you, but we're both, you know, married guys. Yeah. And it, it it has to be liked yes. by all the parties yeah, involved the as well. Yeah, the aesthetics are right? important. Yes. Very important. Well, similarly, when it comes <laughs> to financial planning, I think, you know, meeting number one, we call it our discovery meeting. It's let's learn about you. You know, it'd be very easy for anybody in my position to say, well, you're this old, you have these goals, this is the ideal allocation model and the ideal thing that you should go into. But if that was the case for financial planning, anybody with a computer and a software program could build the perfect plan for everybody. The reality is not everybody's the same. And if I tell you you should be 80% in stocks, but the thought of losing 2% of your money makes you want to you know, jump off a cliff, that is not the right plan for you. Mm. So a properly designed plan starts with, let's really investigate who you are as a person. What can you physically and mentally handle on top of the obvious questions like, what are your goals and what have you been doing up to this point? What are your savings rates? Do you, continue, do you think that's going to continue? Not everybody's job is the same. In other words, some people need a bigger emergency fund than others. But if you just go online and say, what should my emergency fund be? 
well, six to 12 months. Is that the case for everyone? If you're an independent business owner, you might want more than that. Sure. If you're uh, a teacher, maybe you don't necessarily need quite as much. So it starts with that individual approach. But then secondly, uh, we call our analysis meeting. We will simply analyze what you're doing up to this point and show you if you continue to do what you're doing, this is what the outcome looks like. And hopefully for everybody that comes in, it's a very rosy picture. But there are also some things that we tend to overlook. You know, there's there's two types of people I notice: The doomsdayers that it could never be perfect. And then there's the, uh, I'm sure it'll all be fine no matter what it looks like. Yeah. And you got to kind of find that middle ground. And I think that analysis meeting really puts the rubber to the road with that is where, where are we, right? And then in meeting number three, we just identify what were the road bumps and how do we solve the problems? What is, how can we improve your situation? How can we better address maybe even that what we're addressing is that, that angst, you know, just for through education. We don't know. But that long planning process, if you're waiting for us to drop the hammer on you and say, all right, now sign here, sign here. That's never coming. Uh, we're going to wait until we get to a point where it's at least going to be meeting number three and meeting number four before we go. Does this all make sense? Mm-hmm. Is this a beneficial thing for both of us? Would you be a good client for us? And would we be the right fit for you? And unfortunately, like everything in life, it's not always perfect. So sometimes we we don't end up following through. I'm really interested in how you gauge what somebody's risk tolerance is, their stomach, for lack of a better term, for how they'll process a catastrophic day in the market. We see all the time the market numbers, and sometimes they're really good, and sometimes, oh, they lost more than this, you know, whatever. And uh, people can answer that question, but it's a different deal experiencing that. So I'm sure you've become very educated over the years in reading people and asking questions and how to get to that. Take me through that process a little bit. Yeah, I think we all fall a little bit victim to this. Sometimes we think we are one person when we're really not. Yeah, Um, true. I'll give you an example. Oftentimes uh, when people come in, they say, well, when I retire, I need $5,000 a month. I go, well, you're making $20,000 a month right now. Are you saving $15,000 a month? Well, no. Well, then what makes you think that all of a sudden, overnight, you're going to change your lifestyle that dramatically? Probably not going to happen. Well, similarly, if somebody says, uh, you know, I, I keep the, the blinders on. I don't pay any attention to it. I don't even open my statements. Well, what did you do in 08, 09? Because it looks like on this statement that I'm looking at, you pulled all your money out and you put it into cash. What did you do in 0102? How did you feel in this? What would you feel like if I came to you tomorrow? Because it's very, it's interesting, Bruce. When, when people make money, they talk in percentages. When they lose money, they talk in dollars. That's true. So it's easy to say, if I have a million dollars and the market does 20%, that's great. And that's all they think about. What if it went down 20%? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, it goes up, goes down. What if I told you you lost $200,000 in the last three months? How would that make, oh, uh, you know, now I'm, and people start usually discussing things like, well, you know, now I'm 65. I don't have 30 years. Yes. Um, so you can get these kind of buzzwords and these feelings, but- more than anything, just through a long, long form, hour long conversation, you can get a pretty good read on the way that people are and you give them options and invariably they'll pick the option that you thought they were going to pick. Yeah. Well, the best questions get the best answers because that really gets to what people honestly are like. And that's part of the analysis process when you meet for your free consultation with Josh and his team 
at Aptus Wealth Management. You can set that up via the phone, 614-917-1040, or online at aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You were talking about the analyzation meeting. What have you been doing? What kind of level of honesty or are people a little sometimes hesitant to tell you exactly what they have been doing or because we're talking about assets and you have to know what assets they have and what you're going to do with it, they're kind of forced to be a little bit more honest. Fortunately, they're forced to be a little bit more honest in that I have the actual documents in front of me. However, where it becomes more challenging is I think people have a preconceived notion of what an appointment with a financial planner looks like and how they're supposed to answer questions. In other words, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor, like you mentioned, you know, well, <laughs> are you working out? Well, of course. Are you uh, eating perfectly? Well, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the doctor's not going to show up at your house and look at the pantry filled with junk food. Um, in my office, I can look and see what you've actually been doing if you bring in the documents that you were supposed to bring in. However, um, we still get a little that, you know, going back to kind of the, the risk tolerance that you were talking mm-hmm. about, how do you think you are as an investor? Everyone invariably will say moderate. Everyone. Nobody wants to be aggressive. Nobody wants to be conservative. Everybody's moderate. And not everybody can be moderate. There are people on different ends of the spectrum. So it's more difficult to find out, and you have to kind of be honed into the craft a little bit to find out where do people really land. How much do you find that people have made decisions, for lack of a better term, without really making a decision? They went to work for a company 10 years ago. Their 401k afforded them access to whatever family of funds it was. They put it in a fund that happened to be doing good at that particular time. However, they arrived at that decision. And life never slows down for anybody. Everybody's busy. And so it's in the fund that it was in when they first put it in there. How often does that happen? I would think that's fairly routine. All the time. Yeah, all the time. Um, and, and, And so much so that there's been some fiduciary responsibility, which means really risk, placed back upon the provider of the 401k. So about 10 years ago, you saw that there was this transition. And if everybody looks in their 401k, they'll see, I used to have all these individual funds and now I have the 2040 fund and the 2035 fund and the 2030 fund, which simply is, I'm going to pick which fund I go into based upon the year that I'm going to retire. And those what we call lifestyle or goal-oriented funds were developed, not because they're necessarily the best fund, but because it's easy And because that fund will automatically change your allocation over time as you get closer and closer to retirement, or in other words, take you more conservative. And the reason that companies did that is because the law changed and now companies can be held liable for poor investment choices inside of their own 401ks as opposed to the investment company. So if you think about it, I have have mutual fund A. Mutual fund A went from a five-star fund to a three-star fund, change management, raised expenses. That's on that's the that's on the onus of the company. They should have known that. They should have let in participants know that. So how much easier would it be to give you five five choices that are all lifestyle choices and ignore it? So that happens all the time. And unfortunately, not every plan has switched to that. And I'm not suggesting that's the best idea, but I'll see people come in and they have an allocation model that looks like somebody's who's nineteen and they're sixty nine. Ooh. A little wow. different story. Yeah, no doubt. These are things that Josh and his team are on top of. That's why it definitely makes sense for you to get a free consultation with the Aptus Retirement Blueprint team. The show airs at 7 p.m. on Fridays and 2 p.m. on Saturdays. 
And you can get a hold of Aptus at 614-917-1040 or on the web at Aptus, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You mentioned a while ago that part of your process in meeting with people and constructing the blueprint gets to a point where you discuss things they've overlooked, things they've overlooked about retirement. And I'm thinking, given my own experience with my parents, that one of the things they overlooked was health care costs. I think they thought, we have a house, we own our house, we're going to, I don't think they thought of this, die in our house, but I think that was, without really planning for it, that was the plan. As is so often the case now with people as they age, um, didn't work out that way. And that was a, I'll say it, dropped ball that their three sons had to figure out, and it's very difficult to figure it out because there are myriad of choices. The best, the quote-unquote best choices are the most expensive options, and there may not be the finances there to take care of that. Well, it's a difficult conversation. Not too many people wake up in the morning and say, you know what I want to think about? I want to think about my ultimate demise, and I'd like to really think about me living in a nursing facility. Yeah. Nobody wants to talk about it. And those unforeseen issues, you know, you said what gets overlooked. It's usually the death of a spouse or long-term care and health-related costs. Those are usually the two big ones that are overlooked. And there's a lot of things that can be done there. You know, I would say an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in that category. And once you, it's kind of like life insurance. Everybody wants to buy as much as they possibly can when they know they have 24 hours to live because it's the best investment ever. Nobody wants to buy it when it's really cheap because they're young and they're probably not going to die. Well, similarly, when you get into this long-term care health-related planning, it, it turns into insurance or and or uh, trust work, meaning how do I protect my house since you brought up the house? Mm-hmm. And there are ways that you can protect your house against capture from long-term care costs. Now, does that mean that you're trying to dupe the government uh, because the government then ends up pay- picking up the cost via Medicaid for the long-term care facility? Not necessarily. Let me give him some, some examples on somebody who might not even be what we would deem to be wealthy, but some planning might be worth it. So let's say I have $100,000 and I have to go into a long-term care facility. You and I both know that's not going to last very long. Nope. We're going to be broke quick. Yep. But once I am broke, Medicaid will pick up the cost of most long-term care facilities. But now I have no money. I'm completely and utterly broke, or I think you know you can keep a very minute amount of money. Very minute. Let's say... Worst case scenario planning here, you have Alzheimer's, and you might live another 10 years. And as a result of Alzheimer's, um, you know, inherently, you may have some forgetfulness. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's kind of the just don't rem- Yeah, that's just a casualty of that particular affliction. So you may throw away your glasses. You may throw away dentures. You may throw away a hearing aid. Medicaid will only cover the cost of those items every so often. So being able to shield that $100,000 from capture from Medicaid doesn't necessarily mean that you're trying to ensure that your legacy is passed on to your kids. It affords your kids the opportunity to continue to buy you new clothes, continue to maybe take you somewhere out of the facility, continue to provide different things that the government just simply won't provide without coming up with that money out of their own pocket. But there's some time parameters in being able to do that. And I'm certainly not an attorney. And anytime you say the word trust, it involves an attorney, but At the same time, that needs to be part of the planning process. And it's my job to help ask difficult questions without necessarily stirring up a whole pot full, a whole stew of 
horrible emotions, Yeah, um, which is sometimes difficult. So that's one of the biggies that people tend to overlook. Maybe what are some other things on the list when you have your meeting with people and you say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this uh, that they haven't thought of? Yeah, the, the big one, the big ones are definitely insurable. Um, you know, nobody wants to buy insurance. Myself, I call insurance, but it's kind of a necessary evil. Uh, well, similarly, you know, if you have a wage earner who is the predominant wage earner in the family, maybe even you have a stay-at-home spouse, their biggest asset is their ability to make a living. And most people are underinsured in that capacity via disability insurance. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we are much more like, likely to become disabled than we are to die young. Um, so that's something that needs to be addressed. There's a lot of little things that can kind of clip your wings of, uh, along that path of retirement. And then, you know, the other ones are pretty obvious. Like um, you have one spouse that is incredibly conservative and another one that's com- competitive, completely aggressive. And, you know, if one wins, the other one's dissatisfied. you got to come up with a blend just like any other relationship. Those, I imagine, are very challenging conversations to have with both spouses in the room. Uh, is it a matter of, you know both sides have to move a little bit or how do you get reach an accord in those situations where one might be super risk averse and one is like, no, no, let's take that chance. The upside's worth it. I think that empowerment on both sides comes as a result of education. So for example, you might have one uh, euphorically aggressive investor who believes that that's the only way that you make a boatload of money. When in reality, they don't need to be that aggressive to reach the goals that they told me they want to reach. And similarly, you have somebody who's completely and utterly conservative that's being, their investment strategy is going to be eroded so badly by inflation, there's no way they'll ever get to their goals. So through that kind of understanding and education planning, both sides will inherently, on their own, meet in the middle without me going, now, Bill, you're going to have to give a little, and Jane, you're going to have to, you don't have to have that conversation. It just becomes very evident. That's right. He's an investment advisor, folks. He's not a marriage counselor. <laughs> uh, Aptus Retirement Blueprint, very, very beneficial to you so that you do not have to worry about these kinds of issues at a point in your life where, you know, ideally you don't want to be doing that. So take the steps right now to get into a good position. Josh Pick, Aptus Wealth Management, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S. So we're talking about savings. We're talking about growing our money in the pandemic. A lot of people got checks in the mail and savings went up. Uh, Do you find that Americans maybe need a stark reminder, which I think these inflationary times can be, on the merits of savings? Inflation's not fun. Recessions aren't fun. But we went through this period of time where it was just prosperity pretty much no matter what. And... I guess I'm looking for a silver lining in a dark cloud, but the lesson of saving and the lesson of planning might have been a lesson that America needed to get. Yeah, I mean, this is an altruistic conversation, I guess, a little bit, or maybe a a hypothetical. We don't really know what people will take away from this, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hard times build stronger people. We know that. And my hope, uh, you know, for the country now we're talking about, my hope is that this was a and I don't want to, you know, uh, lessen the impact that certain people have had. But if you compare what we're encountering today versus, say, the Great Depression, this would be a very easy lesson that we're learning compared to what the folks back then learned. Hopefully, we're heeding the subtle warning that we're receiving and we're realizing that maybe, um, you know, buying everything on credit, 
uh, particularly variable credit lines that we haven't had to pay attention to for the last 10 years or so. Uh, matter of fact, if you had a variable credit line, you're almost rewarded for having a variable credit line. Well, now that variable credit might get you in a big boatload of trouble. So hopefully people are heeding these subtle warnings and they're starting to change the way they live a little bit. Last question, taxes. Is that something that people really need to think about when they plan for retirement? Is that based kind of upon what kind of retirement situation situation you're in in terms of how big your nest egg is? Everybody's different, but nobody likes paying taxes. No matter who you ask, nobody likes paying taxes. So, you know, minimizing taxes should be a critical piece that we address. As a matter of fact, what I see oftentimes in the planning process is the exact opposite of what people should be doing. For example, if you go and you meet with the typical financial planner, and I hate to generalize, they will tell you the best investments that you should be in. And then when you ask them about how am I going to pay taxes, they will say something to the effect, maybe a little more eloquent than this, but, well, you got to pay the piper. (laughs) That just simply is a silly answer, right? So I believe that taxes saved is the same as interest earned. And there are certain ways we go at it from an approach of how do we minimize taxes and then where should we invest accordingly? For example, we know what an IRA is. An Mm -hmm. IRA is something that you put money in pre-tax. It grows tax deferred, but then every nickel you pull out of it is taxable. A Roth IRA, you put in money after tax, but it grows tax-deferred and everything is tax-free. So if I said that you had equal investments and one of them, or let's say that you were a 50-50 investor. So mm-hmm. 50% of my money is conservative and the other 50% is aggressive. Okay, fair. And you had equal Roths and equal IRAs. Would it make sense to just be 50-50 in both? Or maybe would it make sense to have all of your conservative money in your traditional IRA and all of your aggressive money in your Roth IRA because you want the Roth to grow a heck of a lot bigger than the traditional if you want, right? So these are all things that you approach, um, you know, the planning process from, and it's all an educational process. But you ask the question, can you make an impact on taxes? And the answer is yes. Folks, those are some of the questions that you'll be asked in your free consultation with Josh and his team at Aptus Wealth Management. Book your appointment now, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S. Josh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. You as well. Thanks, Chris. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.